So I looked in the mirror and said, I was born in this country. I speak this language. I'm privileged (laughs) enough to be going to college with loans and other things that they didn't have. If they can do it, there's no excuse for me. Today, we are lucky to speak with Lily Galici, an entrepreneur, attorney, and former reality TV star. Lily is an inspiration for entrepreneurs everywhere. She describes how her immigrant parents gave her confidence in her abilities to succeed, inspiring her to be her own boss. I love that Lily is an inspiration for young women, motivating them to build their brands and businesses without fear. Transitioning from an attorney to an entrepreneur, she was inspired and driven to be a powerful businesswoman. Lily shares how early business missteps helped her perfect her approach to success and shares a plan that anyone looking to build a brand or business can use. Through the lens of her own experience, Lily illustrates the importance of putting our health and well-being first, letting go of what no longer serves us, and moving forward with confidence and optimism. Here is our conversation with Lily Galici. So Lily, I'm so excited to have you with us, and thank you for taking the time to talk a little bit about yourself with us. Can't wait to learn about all the amazing things that you have done in your past and that you're doing today. And I personally think that you're an incredible addition to our pod. And there are so many people out there that admire you and could use your advice. And I'd love to just start with the very beginnings. Why don't we start where it all started? Like, what are your some of your earliest memories that, you know, kind of where you started? Like, where did you grow up? Where did it all begin for you? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Such an honor to be here. And I love when I get asked the question, how did it start? Because there's a huge misconception about me that I grew up with a golden spoon in my mouth and I had everything handed to me. I've read the most ridiculous articles online about how my (laughs) parents are oil millionaires and this and that. The truth is I am from a middle-class home in Houston, Texas, actually Cypress, Texas, but no one knows where that is. It's about an hour outside of Houston. I had a very humble upbringing. I was the third child to two immigrant parents. Although we didn't have a lot of money, what we did have was a lot of love and support from our parents and a lot of encouragement. And I really think that's what shaped me to who I am today. I always tell parents this, my earliest memory of my mom, because my dad worked two jobs, was telling me how smart I was, that I could do anything I wanted. I remember being in second grade and before going to school, she would tell me I was the smartest person in my class. And I was like, you know, seven and I believed her. And so I went to school with that confidence and that confidence she instilled in me never ended from high school to college. And something very unique she used to tell me is, you don't ever wanna work for someone, work for yourself be your own boss, make the money for you. And, you know, this came from a mom where they were working multiple jobs, you know, in other companies, just trying to make ends meet and put food on the table. So they wanted something different for their kids. And it just really inspired me to be an entrepreneur and achieve the most I could possibly achieve. I love that. So could you tell me a little bit about what, kind of guided you to want to be an entrepreneur? Like was your parents kind of had a huge influence on you? Where, what, what happened next in your life? 
Sure. So when I was in high school, my father quit both his jobs and they decided to be entrepreneurs themselves. So all throughout high school and college, I watched them start business after business after business. And, you know, maybe they started 10 and nine didn't succeed, but they never gave up. And by the time I was finishing college, they had become success stories themselves. I looked at them They didn't know English when they came to this country. They taught themselves English while getting a college Mm -hmm. education. They didn't have a dollar to their name. They didn't have a single family member in this country, and they did it. So I looked in the mirror and said, I was born in this country. I speak this language. I'm privileged (laughs) enough to be going to college with loans and other things that they didn't have. If they can do it, there's no excuse for me. So I went to the University of Texas for my undergrad. I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I majored in business, specializing in marketing. And then I went to law school after that because my parents really pressured us to either be a doctor or a lawyer because to them, those were like safe paths. So I went to law school, practiced law for about a year, and I just, I didn't, feel that was for me. I knew there was so much more potential. So I took a risk. I quit my job with my degrees in hand. So I knew I could always go back to practicing law. (laughs) And I started my very first business, which was a swimwear line. Um, I knew I wanted to be in beauty and fashion. I gave myself three years. If I couldn't pay my own bills, I would go back to law. But thankfully, it more than worked out. So I'm glad that I took that risk. What do you think made you so motivated? Could you like articulate that? Was it seeing your parents drive or what do you think was it that kind of catapulted you to be like, I need to do this no matter what? So it wasn't just my parents. I had made friends throughout college and law school with a lot of different really successful entrepreneurs. And this is going to sound so horrible, but you need to have this mentality. I looked at some of them and I thought to myself, okay, I'm smarter than him. I'm definitely smarter than him. I will work harder than him. You know, whether it was a guy that was popping bottles at a club and I'm like, this guy's out every night drinking and he has Mm -hmm. a multi-million dollar business that he's running during the day. If he can do it, I can do it too. So I really just tried to look at everyone I met in life that was a successful entrepreneur that was living a dream that I wanted. And I compared myself to them. I'm just as smart as them. I'll work harder than them. If they can do it, I can do it too. And I just, I never gave up on that and stopped believing in myself. Do you think any of that was the idea of being a woman and wanting to prove them wrong? Like you said, you mentioned you seen this guy popping bottles where you're like, yeah. look, I can do that better. And was there a competitive nature to that? 100%. I'm not just a woman. I'm a very girly girl. I'm pregnant right now in all black, so you can't tell, but I have fake <laughs> boobs. I like, you know, Botox and and everything else that comes with being a a really glam girl. And so you're automatically judged, whether I was in the courtroom or the boardroom, the moment you walk in, you know, people think you're there to get coffee for everyone or, oh, that's cute. You know, she wants to be in business. And so I think that motivated me even harder. Like I felt like I had something to prove and I still feel that way. Let me tell you, even though I have multiple multi-million dollar businesses. If I'm in Paris, for example, and I go spend way too much money in Chanel, the sales associate when checking me out will literally ask me questions like, so what does your husband do? 
and oh, wow. they're just automatically assuming that I must be shopping and splurging like this on my husband's dime. And it always like chips a little mm -hmm. more away at me to want to be even more successful to help people realize like women do it too. We are changing the face of business every day and women can be just as successful, if not more successful than men. For sure, more successful. Definitely smarter. I mean, um, I didn't want to say it, but we're definitely smarter. <laughs> I'll definitely side with you on that. How did that make you feel when somebody in the store would be like, what does your husband do? It used to really upset me because I had worked so hard. I sacrificed, you know, so many years of my life when all my friends were partying or traveling or drinking. And, and I worked 20 hours a day or whatever it took to try to become successful. I was in the struggle. And that's what people need to realize. Success isn't a race. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a marathon. Success mm -hmm. comes to those that can wake up every day and grind a little more, a little more. And so after going through that, you know, for over a decade of grinding to get to this point where I can spend any amount of money I want in any store, it is a little insulting, but the older I get, the less I care. And, um, you know, the more success you have, really the only person you have to prove anything to is yourself. And that's really what I've learned. I'd love to double click on that. And again, when you say the only person you have to prove to yourself is yourself, like, how do you do that? And how would you say it felt when you did that for the first time? Sure. So I, I mean, this is going to sound like total hypocrisy coming from me, but I've learned to stay off social media and all my brands are on social media. I've had all my success from social media. I owe everything to social media, but it's not real. And if you are on social media all day, whether you're looking at someone's car they bought or someone's house they bought or, oh my God, mm -hmm. they just got married and it's not reality. And so you're comparing your relationship to this fake glimpse of someone else's relationship. You're comparing your success to someone else's glimpse of success, but they're not sharing the good and the bad. They're not sharing the struggle. They're sharing what they want to share with you. Mm -hmm. And so I've learned to look at social media with a grain of salt and remember those girls don't look like that. That's very heavily edited. Those marriages aren't as perfect as it seems. And, and you just have to remind yourself every day that what makes you happy, you are the only one you have anything to prove to. So if your marriage makes you happy, then you're doing great. If your job makes you happy, then you're doing great. Don't compare yourself to all these people you follow. I love that. Are there, are there any strategies that you think people out there could use to kind of avoid doing that and maybe like obsessing over other people's lives, but at the same time, you know, using it as maybe an inspiration to do more on their own. You hit it right. You hit the nail on the head. So what I try to do is use it as inspiration. If I see another woman with a great body, you know, rather than being like, Oh my God, I don't look like that. Sit down like, okay, well she's working out twice a day. She's eating healthy. I'm going to make a plan for myself. I'm going to make a 30 day, a 60 day, a 90 day plan. Where do I want to be a year from now? And what is it going to take to get there? So I think using it as motivation, like you said, and the key here is a plan. So many people want things, whether it's 
to have a successful business, to have a better body, to meet a spouse. Well, you have to have a plan. It's like anything else in life. You have to have Mm -hmm. goals and you have to every single day work towards their goals. My secret is a to-do list. Every night before bed, write a to-do list with at least three things on it that you're going to do the next day to help further your personal goal. Mm -hmm. If it's start a business, put come up with a domain name, um, design a logo, whatever it is, and do those three things the next day. And before you go to bed the next night again, put three more. And before you know it, your three is going to turn to 10, is going to turn to 20. And from walking, you're now running towards whatever it is your goal is. I love that. It's super simple. Like trying to boil these big ideas down into simpler, actionable items helps a lot. Let's get a little bit back to you and your journey. So can you tell us like a little bit about your first, very first early success and how you felt about that? Sure. So I started a swimwear line. That was my first brand ever. I knew nothing about designing or garments or anything, but what I always tell people is Google will teach you everything. There's no excuse. You don't need any formal education. You just need access to Wi-Fi. Um, so <laughs> I, I just self-taught myself. I have always been true to myself. So my swimwear line was called Swimgerie, lingerie-inspired mm-hmm. swimwear, which we're talking about like 15 years ago now. So this was very taboo. Um, and it was a success for that time. There was no social media. It, it caused the scene, you know, and um, I had a lot of success there. The problem is as social media got invented, so did fast fashion. I made... Cool two to $300 luxury swimsuits. And suddenly the fashion novas of the world had something that looked exactly the same for 1999. So I very quickly realized as the world in of marketing was changing, so did my business need to change. And so I ultimately mm-hmm. ended that brand. My next brand was Lily Lashes, um, which is incredibly successful today. We are the number one prestige lash brand in the world. Um, and I sort of, I always look at how the market is shopping to help me realize what is going to be successful for me. I love the, on the, you just touched on fast fashion versus the luxe. How do you find that balance between, you know, being able to create something that is accessible to the masses, like Fashion Nova did so well, and Amazon tries to do as well there, and then creating something that has a luxury feel and approach to it that could uh, that could reach more people. Like, how do you balance both? That's a great question. So for me, the secret sauce, it's a few elements, and I'm, I should charge you guys that I'm sharing this, but... <laughs> Um, although I love prestige brands, you know, I love Chanel, Hermes, they've created this niche that is really, really difficult to have, to become a true prestige product where people are willing to pay 10, 100, 1,000 times more for your product than truly the exact alternative is hard. So what I found worked for me, which I discovered after my swimmer line is affordable. So it has to be mm-hmm. under $30. Easy to ship because our marketing is all done on social media, which is worldwide. So some of your followers are from Canada, Australia. You have to have an easy to ship product. Mm -hmm. Um, And number three, one size fits all. 
So if a product has those three things, I am confident I can make it wildly successful on social media. And so that's sort of been my pivot for all my brands. Um, And the reason affordable is important is because it has a low rate of return. If you spend $200 or $300 on something, when you get it, if you don't like it, you're going to send it back because Mm -hmm. you want your $200 or $300. If you pay $20 for something, if you don't absolutely love it, the chance that you're going to go like buy a box, get postage, take it to the post office is pretty low because at that point, you're going to get like 10 bucks back. So (laughs) that's my secret sauce. Try it for yourself and um, you might be successful. You're right. We should charge you for that information. I'll make sure that the viewers like send like uh, some sort of tip system to you. Um, no, that's that's amazing. You should write. Have you written a book yet? Are you working on writing a book? I was writing a book um, years ago after my initial success of Lily Lashes, and then I'm I started another business and another business, and the book just <laughs> totally benched. Okay, we'll work on that after this call. Um, so what happened after Lily Lashes? And where, 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 how old were you when you created that? Like, what was going on in your life when you started Lily Lashes? So um, that's a great question. I had just got on a television reality show on Bravo called The Shots of Sunset. And mm. the reason Bravo was attractive big show. is because I was an entrepreneur. I had this swimwear line, and it was like an interesting story, this lawyer turned entrepreneur. And my character on the show, yes, character, I hate to break it to you, reality shows aren't (laughs) all real. Um, (laughs) It was a a larger than life version of myself, which is a Glamazon. And at the time, there were no strip lashes. There were either barely their human hair lashes or Halloween lashes. So just in filming every day and spending 30 minutes on lashes for myself, because we would cut up the human hair ones and use three or four pairs, I realized there was a need in cosmetics to have more dramatic strip lashes that were still really elegant and glamorous and luxurious. And so I decided to develop them and I was really, I hate to use the word fortunate because it wasn't luck. It was a lot of thoughtful planning and ideas that I was the first. So when I launched, suddenly every girl like me, only actually famous, like Kim Kardashian (laughs) and Jennifer Lopez, everyone needed what I needed. They were also spending 30 minutes on lashes and glam and having to create their own lash every single time because nothing existed suddenly my product existed and every single woman on camera or performing or just a glam girl in general needed it and wanted it. So we very quickly just spread across the world. I love it. So there's a a huge combination of beauty and business. And it seems like you had to learn that very fast, how you can combine these two worlds that a lot of people would think don't exist together. But then as you see you know, especially with, you know, Kylie and what she's done in her business mm-hmm. and what you've done in yours, there's a huge need for somebody to be very smart in business and very smart in beauty. How could you explain how the two worlds are kind of combined today and how you use your expertise in law to excel in what you, your passion in beauty? Great question. So beauty is the new business. Okay. I have 
business, very successful entrepreneurs from all walks of life and different types of businesses that look at our EBITDA and our margins. And they're like, I am in the wrong business with social media, just Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, beauty exploded because it's so easy to share beauty. You know, you guys are in finance. It's really hard to captivate someone in 15 seconds with finance. It's so easy to captivate someone in 15 seconds with beauty, with a dramatic transformation, with a lipstick, with anything. So I realized very quickly after Lily Lashes that beauty is the new business and is the new way to create really great new businesses. And so all of my businesses are focused in beauty. It's also true to me. It's what I'm passionate about. And I always tell young entrepreneurs, the reason I think my products are so successful is they're all products I created for myself. Mm -hmm. I wanted Mm -hmm. them. I needed them. And if you want it and you need it, chances are there's millions and millions of people out there that also want it and need it. A great example is Spanx. You know, such a simple concept that every woman wanted and needed and was kind of doing in their own way, whether they would buy pantyhose that are too tight for them. Or I knew some girls that would wear like biker shorts under their dresses that she's like, you know what? Like I need this. I'm just going to make it. And so if you are doing something unique, even if it's just a slight variation to something that already exists, chances are that's a great product idea. Were you ever scared of words like EBITDA and like, were you ever, did it, was it ever daunting to you? And how did you get past that and learn so quickly about how to survive in this ruthless world of e-commerce? I knew nothing. So um, I had a law background, which to answer your prior question has helped me tremendously because I negotiate all my own contracts. I write all my own contracts. Um, it Going to higher education will mm-hmm. develop your mind and your skills in a very meaningful way. So it's never a waste of time, even if you don't particularly use that field. Now, um, as far as financial terms, like EBITDA and margin and things like that, it was very intimidating to me. And I'm going to be honest, even with all my success in business, it's still intimidating to me. I don't understand the market very well. I don't understand crypto very well. I'm great at making money. I'm a genius marketer. But then once I have that money, I can acknowledge that I don't know the best thing to do with it. Now, with anything else, the more time you put into learning something, the better you're going to be. So I did learn what I needed to learn about my own businesses and the financial terms for that. But as far as investing my money, I leave it to professionals like Prometheus <laughs> to help me there. Amazing. Thanks for the shout out there. What of would you course. say to like a young, you know, entrepreneur, girl boss aspiring to build her beauty brand or build her fitness brand or whatever it is that they're striving to do? And they may be intimidated about entering that space. What would be your best advice to them? It's really not as intimidating as you think. It, it's, it seems really scary from far, but the more you get into it, it's really not that bad. And 
the thing I would say, it's like anything else. You're not the first person to do this. There's millions of people that existed before you, not as smart as you, not as sophisticated as you, probably not as educated as you, that they figured it out. So if they can do it, you can do it too. You just got to take the time. Use Google. Great. Re- I Google. <laughs> Like I've been in board meetings and someone says a word and I'm like, oh my God, I don't know. (laughs) Love that. And so Google it and figure it out. And it's really not as scary. Even me with investing, it's not that I couldn't do it. It's, It's not that it's over my head. I've just chosen that my time is better spent doing what I am really Mm -hmm. good at than sitting here and trying to figure out a whole nother industry that someone like you guys are already very good at. Yeah, touching on what you said there, when something was as saturated as lashes or swimwear, that didn't seem to scare you at all. In fact, it seemed to motivate you. How did you find a niche that made you excel so much to be like one of the, one of the number one brands in the world? And what separated you? That's such a fantastic question because I despise when I hear an aspiring entrepreneur say, but that market is already so saturated. Well, if you have that mentality, obviously you're never going to be successful from the start right there. And that's not true there. I don't care what market you're going into. There's always room for more, more people to become successful. And if it's not going to be you, it is going to be someone else. Are you telling me there's never going to be another new makeup brand for as long as you exist? No, of course there is. I think the key to success in a market where there's already a lot of players is a point of differentiation. You have to have a story. Why are you unique? Why are you different? Why should I as a consumer buy from you? And for my lashes, I didn't invent lashes. I didn't reinvent the wheel. I just made it different. And so I improved an existing product to be fuller, to be more dramatic, to have different styles, to cater to different eye shapes, to be made from different materials than what was currently on the market. So my advice would be, why do you want to make this product that already exists? What is going to be different about you? Is it because yours is clean, your clean beauty that doesn't use any harmful toxins, any harmful chemicals? Is it because your product is geared towards Indian people. I have a friend, she started a makeup line. Her name is Dupika and it's geared, she's Indian and it's geared towards Indian people and she's wildly successful. So it's not that it's too crowded. It's you need to have a unique aspect about your product or your brand to attract people in that market to you. I love that. It's so well said. And do you think that there's something to be said about also this new generation of young people looking to have more touch points with the founders that makes them feel more connected. You never hear about people going out and buying Estee Lauder or Chanel or things like that. You hear them going and buying Drunk Elephants, Kylie Kylie Skincare, your brands. Is there something that people feel more connection to? And then in turn, you see these brands being sold for billions of dollars, like Drunk Elephants sale to Shiseido. Um, things like that. But is, you, I, I wonder if it's something to do with like being able to see and touch the founder and communicate with them on social. That's such a great hypothesis. And it's something that I wondered myself and I actually tested. So my <laughs> brands um, like Lily Lashes, for example, they were all directly connected to me. 
I was the founder. I was the name of the brand, the face of the brand, the primary person promoting the brand. But when you go to exit something like that, you have a much more difficult time to exit because does Lily Lashes exist without Lily Galici? Does Kylie Cosmetics exist without Kylie Jenner? And mm -hmm. so I decided to tr test the hypothesis by founding my hair supplement, Hairdamin. So the average person does not know that I own this brand. But what we did is the same exact marketing strategy, just deduct me and I have a partner, another influencer, her name is Layla, from the equation. And what mm -hmm. we realized is the brand can be just as successful. You just have to have a vast influencer network. So it's not so much the founder that is touching people, but it's the hundreds, if not thousands of other influencers that are getting the product in their hands and sharing it with their network. Now, this may not be true with Kylie Jenner. She's so big, <laughs> she doesn't need anyone else to touch her product. Yeah. But for me, you know, I only have 3 million followers. Only. Um, I mean, that's a lot, but I mean, I, I don't know what Kylie's at. It's probably in the hundreds of million. million man. So our marketing strategy is to have a really robust influencer program seed the product to as many me's as possible or less than me's 1 million, mm -hmm. 100,000, 10,000, 5,000 followers. Yeah. The more influential people you can get talking about your product and using your product, their community is going to connect with that. Their community is going to be influenced by that. And then on a grand scale, the brand is going to see tremendous success and growth. I love that. And yeah, sometimes some of those smaller influencers, the 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 have a little bit more reach because people really connect with them a little bit more and kind of listen to them. Uh, so it's smart that you created that network as a marketing strategy. It ends up making you spend less money on ad buys, I'm sure, as well there. Now, back to you because you're the most important person in this conversation. But I'd love to hear what was that like as somebody who's never been on TV before, obviously social is a little different, being on a reality TV show that got as big as Shaw's Sunset did. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about uh, what that was like? I, I couldn't handle it. Um, I have nothing negative to say about the show. I just wasn't emotionally equipped to be on a reality television show. And it's to no fault but my own you know what you're signing up for. No one goes on a reality show and thinks they're going to expect like candlelit dinners and serious conversations. No, it's entertainment, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So they want you to fight. There, there needs to be drama. It needs to be interesting for people to watch. And I'm not a very conflict prone person. And I run real businesses, right? You know, I, I, my primary focus, even when I joined the show was to make my business successful, but it's really difficult to work every day and have a successful business. If your mind is occupied on this huge fight that occurred on film last night. And mm -hmm. so I quit the show after one season, I signed up for a second season, but after the first week of filming, I couldn't take it anymore. And maybe it was my position in life. I hadn't reached the level of success I had today. So I still felt a lot of pressure to focus on work. Um, and maybe I was just young and mm -hmm. not emotionally equipped. I feel like now that I've been a wife and a mother, 
I could handle anything with my eyes closed. Um, but at that time, it was too much for me. And then it's shown to the world. So everyone sees something that maybe you're not proud of having been a part of, whether it was a fight or yeah. a night of partying or something. And, and mm-hmm. for me, it wasn't a good fit. That's really smart what you just said, and I try to instill that on a lot of our staff that I work with and every kind of area of my life is that idea of focus. And if something is a distraction, can you be the best possible version of yourself in that business? So it's interesting that you decided to make that sacrifice to kind of uh, realize that you needed to really dial in and focus to be successful as an entrepreneur. Right. And I I made that decision when I started the show, you know, I wasn't doing the show to be famous. If your goal is to be famous, then you need to go on that reality show and you need to be the most ridiculous version of yourself and you're going to achieve that fame. But I didn't join the show to be famous. I joined the show to be successful. I Mm -hmm. knew it would help my businesses gain exposure that they otherwise couldn't. But when I saw it was derailing that goal, I knew that you know, I needed to pick one over the other and, and my business. What do you think about it was derailing? It was it the lack of focus on the business. It, it was definitely the lack of focus. And then just the, the draining mentally, physically, emotionally of the process. So filming takes up a lot of your time for three, four months, every single day, you have like a filming schedule almost. Then you have a month or two off. Then you go into press promoting the show where you're traveling to New York and other places doing a lot of interviews. So your focus is the show. That's your job. And everything else kind of becomes ancillary to that. And then secondly, I was so emotionally drained from just being sucked into these fights or once the show aired, like hearing you can't, no matter how much you say, I'm not going to read the press and I'm not going to read the comments you do. And they, affect you when people are making fun of you physically or something you said on the show, something you did on the show, attacking you. It was just too much for me in many different ways to handle that and give the time, attention, and detail that my business needed. And it shows. The moment I quit the show and I focused 100% of my time on Lonely Lashes, we just took off. Oh, wow, really? That's amazing. And how, how do you deal with that today now that you're not on the show, but how do you deal with balancing exhaustion, a family, all the other things that are pulling at you, not letting negative comments on social affect you today? Because I'm sure there's still those trolls out there. How do you deal with like that self-care today so that you can be recharged enough to go and kill it in business? Honestly, my answer to that anytime someone asks me is one day at a time. I have no magic secret sauce. I don't have it all figured out. I'm not doing everything. I try to prioritize each day. I'm a mom. I'm a wife. I'm a homemaker. I'm a business owner of multiple businesses. And you can't give all of them 100%. And what Mm. I realized is that's okay. I'm going to decide what's important to my daughter, for, for my daughter. Maybe picking her up or dropping her off from school every single day isn't as high as of importance. So I'm going to let a nanny do that part and Mm -hmm. I'm going to focus on work 
during that time. But when she comes home, I'm done with work for the next three hours to focus on her. So I try to find the balance that works for me. Um, I'll be honest, something has to give. Maybe you're not going to be a seller of a wife cooking dinner every night and everything <laughs> else. Um, if you're focusing more on your brand or, you know, it, you can't do it all. And I think the key to success in balancing it is admitting that and that's okay. And whatever anyone else has to say about what kind of wife you are, what kind of wife mother you are, what kind of business owner you are, that's for them to decide. And um, the last thing I'll say on this is it's okay to sort of let certain things that were once important to you not be important to you anymore. Mm -hmm. And the example I'm going to give to you there is my social media page. So there was a point in my life where my social media page, growing the page, maintaining the page was my number one focus. I posted every single day. I shot twice a week. We were constantly having meetings about what kind of content I was going to have, what we were going to do. And my page exploded. I gained millions and millions of followers on Facebook and Instagram. Now that I have success in business, I'm a wife, I'm a mother, and now that I'm pregnant on top of all of that, in the past three months, I'm four months pregnant, I've posted maybe five times on social media. And that's yeah. a decision I made that, you know what, something has to give now that I have this added stress of pregnancy and for me, my social media just isn't as important anymore. So, you know, you just have to accept whatever repercussions that's going to have. Maybe you're going to lose followers. Maybe you're not going to grow and just understand that's okay. Yeah, that's super important, especially when you see this dopamine hit that a lot of people get from posting, getting likes, comments. I think, it, how did you, you know, deal with, did, did you notice a big difference when you stopped posting? Was, you, did, was it a bit of a shock at first? Was it hard? How did you deal with that? You know, it wasn't hard for me. It's something I did with my first child too. When she was born, I think I posted once a month for like the first six months mm -hmm. of her life. It wasn't hard for me because I had something else that was more important. My pregnancy mm -hmm. and balancing my child that exists is more important to me than likes, comments, and everything else. With that said, I waited to do this in life when I already had success. Let's say I was still a struggling entrepreneur. I probably would prioritize my Instagram right now and make sure I focus on that and grow that. But because I've already reached a tremendous amount of success in my professional life, you know, how much is enough is yeah, what it course. becomes a mm -hmm. question of. And so for me, it wasn't a difficult decision at all. I don't even notice I'm definitely not growing, I'm sure, but I don't even notice. Yeah. And it, it, like you said, it's kind of like that idea of like, what's the point at this point? You know, you've built your business. And could you tell me a little bit about a time where it felt like you maybe might not have made it or you're struggling or you're struggling with overcoming a problem and you're kind of felt defeated maybe before, you know, you felt some of the success from Lily Lashes? Sure. Another great question because... Most people, I'm not going to say no one, most people don't succeed on the first try. You might not succeed on the second try or the third try or the fourth try, but I saw mm. that with my parents. They never gave up. I saw that with myself. What I didn't mention to you is how many other businesses I had <laughs> between 
Lily Lashes and say another successful brand or, or my swimwear line in Lily Lashes. I had a champagne line. I had wow. a jewelry line. Um, I had so many things that I was very passionate about, but they didn't work. And mm-hmm. rather than letting that demotivate me into being like, well, I'm just not a good business person. I'm just not going to be successful. I tried to learn from each. Why didn't that work? And that's how I came up with my secret sauce. Well, my jewelry line was just too expensive. Nobody wants to pay $1,000 and buy something off an Instagram post. They just don't. If they're going to spend that kind of money, they want to be able to see it, touch it, try it on. So I learned that from that business. My champagne line, you can't ship that anywhere. I didn't know that. So I learned that from that business. So what I did is I took my failures per se, and I used them as learning stepping stools. Okay, the next business, I know it needs to be affordable, so they'll buy it over a picture, and I need to be able to ship it easily everywhere. And little by little with each business that didn't work, I got a new ingredient until I had the perfect sauce of what would work. Amazing. I love how your photo is like your perfect sauce there. Could you tell us back on like, how did you feel when you had your first child and it was kind of like your first experience outside of social media business? It was your first time kind of really doing something that was totally different. It was, was that a shock to you? How did that experience go? It was so hard for anyone that is not a parent on here. It is more work than you think it's going to be. It is the hardest, but most rewarding job on earth. I used to look at my friends that were stay at home moms. You know, I was a workaholic and I'd be like, Oh, that's really cute that you do that. That's so cute. Now that I've had a child, I have a completely different mentality. Being a stay at home parent is the hardest job on earth. Raising a child is the hardest job on earth. God bless anyone that is a stay at home parent. Um, it was life changing for me in, in a good way. And in a bad way, it made me realize that, you know, if I wanted to be the type of parent that I dreamed of the type of mother that was there every day that didn't leave, you know, every single day and drop my kid off at daycare that I would have to take a toll in my professional life. And it's incredibly unfair because men, they don't really skip a beat, right? My husband took a week off of work when our daughter was born and he went right back to his business and his career. I wasn't emotionally equipped to do that. And I don't judge women that are, if you, you know, one of my closest cousins, she took a week off. She's a surgeon. She went right back to surgery and her husband is more the stay at home parent that raises the kids and it works for their family. But for me, I didn't want both of the parents to be these workaholic entrepreneurs. So I decided to sort of sacrifice my career a little and focus on, on being her mom. And I don't regret that. I think, you know, there is a balance you can find. We have zoom now. We have so many ways that you can still be at work every single day while not being at work. How do you think having a child changed you the most? What did you like empathy? Like what, what changed you the most after having your first child? 
Um, I, I would like to consider myself a really empathetic person already. Um, I would say what in what way it changed me the most is realizing how insignificant everything else was. Before mm-hmm. I had a kid, it was about financial success. That was my driver. That was my motivation. The more I got, the more I wanted. Mm-hmm. And after I had a kid, I was like, wow. So this is like what life <laughs> is kind of about. Like, there's so much more to life than just being successful and working. And I didn't feel that before because my husband is copy paste of me only worse. He's an entrepreneur. Only he like builds showers and beds in his office to sleep at work so that he could just get up the next day and be there. So I hadn't felt that something else in life could be even more important and rewarding and fulfilling until I had my daughter. So it really put in perspective that all of this other stuff we do for me is really Mm -hmm. to just enjoy kids and, and, and that other love and family. Amazing. I love that. How do you find that you and your husband are able to complement each other in business and finance? And what is it that he does that in his work that maybe inspires you and vice versa? That's a great question. So when you have two really strong entrepreneurs, it's hard to compliment. It's yeah, mostly must be a, lot. A, lot, a lot of that. And, um, you know, because I go to work and I'm used to being the boss. He goes to work and he's used to being the boss. And then you come home and you can't have two bosses. So um, we've learned what works for us. And it hasn't been easy. We have not had the easiest marriage. But we got to a point the past year where, where we figured it out. And we're so happy. And for us, I try to learn from him now. He runs a business with thousands of employees. My brands aren't like that. So I really mm-hmm. ask him his advice and take his knowledge on managing people because that's something that I'm not super experienced at. And he, to the contrary, tries to learn from me. You know, they're not a direct-to-consumer brand. All my brands are direct-to-consumer. They want to launch that aspect because of COVID. So suddenly I had some knowledge to share with him. But I think what has worked for us, if I could be very frank, is to leave our work at the door before we come in. And when we're at home, we're just regular people and we're mom and dad and we're husband and wife and we try not to bring work into the house. I love that. That's super important. And it's nice that you do find a way to compliment each other in, uh, you know, borrowing yeah, borrow, right. like, some inspiration. <laughs> yeah. Even if it causes some arguments and fist fighting. Um, where, where do you see the future of beauty and business kind of going? Do you see it? It's obviously accelerating quite a bit. Um, do you have any like views on it? Do you have any aspirations on how you could um, angle and achieve more with the way the internet is moving? 100%. So I think the global pandemic of COVID totally shifted beauty in business. The shift went from color before COVID color was all the rage to clean beauty and wellness. So suddenly products like lash enhancing serums, mm-hmm. um, natural hair growth products, clean makeup, anything that was healthy wellness that took a huge shift in beauty. Um, color shifted entirely to skincare. Skincare is the new beauty because people were stuck at home and it was all about 
self-care. Now it's, you know, I'm, I'm here. Let me spend this time to improve my skin, to improve my hair. And suddenly makeup and, and color isn't as important. We're under masks or we're not going out at all. So I think even as the world reopens, people mm-hmm. are not going to forget about this new aspect of self-care and wellness. So I think beauty is going to need to shift to that as well, having cleaner ingredients, more heavily focused on skincare and self-care products. Makes a lot of sense. And do you think that the evolution of social platforms has maybe added to that? Or how do you think that that's changing that landscape? For example, uh, my niece, who's like eight years old, doesn't watch Netflix or TV. She watches TikToks and YouTube yeah. videos. And she's obsessed with beauty bloggers at eight years old and where she'll like replicate them and emulate them, people like yourself and their YouTube videos and their makeup reviews and all of that. At eight years old, she's doing that. Do you think it's speeding things up that we're seeing on social platforms? And what do you think of the evolution of the new ones? 100%. Each new one's going to speed it up even more with that set of influencer and in social media influencers is the new advertisement. It's replaced TV commercials, print ads, radio ads. Everyone buys everything off of social media now, not even just young people, older demographics, and not just influencers, paid ads. You know, you talk about something, you're going to get an ad about it tomorrow. So (laughs) I think that every new social platform is going to shift business an advertisement for whatever the product may be to that platform. And the more catered your product is to that platform's audience, like TikTok is very young, probably the more success you're going to see. I love that. And what, what are you doing today? Like, how do you, how does your day look like today? I know you're pregnant now. And uh, what are you working on now? Is most of your day focused on uh, the next brand, the next business? Or are you focusing more on the current lashes business? So I I shared with your staff before you came on this call, the first half of my day was spent vomiting because this pregnancy (laughs) has been rough. Um, But, you know, I have Zoom call after Zoom call after Zoom call. I work entirely from home now that I'm pregnant and have my daughter. I go into the office only one day a week. Um, It works for us. But when I say I work from home, I'm sitting there working from home, meeting after meeting after meeting on Zoom. Um, But it... I'm trying to slow down. I, you know, stress during pregnancy isn't, isn't very good for the baby and for the mom. Mm -hmm. So I'm just trying to balance. I spend the majority of my time on Herdeman, which is a supplement brand that focuses on hair health. I have really long hair. You can't tell from here. Amazing. I need to buy some of that. And like I said, the, the shift in my opinion is to wellness and clean products. And that is my brand that focuses on that. So that's the primary focus of my time. Amazing. I love that. Yeah, for sure. Especially I think with today's world we are in, everyone's focused on how can I think more clearly? How can I relieve anxiety? How can I make my mood better? How can we increase our mental health awareness? Are there mental health products um, that can make us healthier and happier, especially with social media and COVID? decreasing that. So it's nice to see that you're shifting your focus to creating some wellness products. And even hearing you talk about some of these issues really help, I think will help a lot of people out there understand their own mental health better. How do you personally deal with mental health and making sure that you kind of are in a good place for your kids? And do you work with therapists? Do you kind of like read? 
take a bath? <laughs> what do you, what helps? That's a great question. So I, I wasn't always that mentally healthy. I did go through a period of my life when I was on the reality show that I suffered now, I know from anxiety, I had one or two panic attacks. And what I realized from that period of time is anything that isn't serving my mental health, I got to cut it out. And that will only better me in every other way, every aspect of my life. So if you trying to go to the gym every day is causing you so much stress and anxiety, just cut it out for a while and figure out another way to exercise. And for me, that's why I cut out social media. I said, since I became pregnant, because I know the stress of photo shoots, creating content, editing content, dealing with the comments and everything else that comes along with posting on Instagram, it's not going to serve my mental health right now. So cut out whatever isn't serving your mental health, even if it's a person, even if it's your brother or your dad, if somebody is toxic to your life and you're suffering mentally as a result, cut it out until you can deal with it again. Um, as far as what I'm doing, I just per my doctor's request, started incorporating prenatal massages. I had my second one last night and it was pretty relaxing, I must say. Amazing. I thank you for talking a little bit about that. And, you know, a lot of people in the world, especially post COVID or during COVID, um, dealing with anxiety, you know, the darkness that comes with it. Did that ever, you know, affect you in a way that you didn't think you'd be able to continue executing on your business or, you know, being on the show must have been, a little bit difficult uh, at times with like the arguing and some of the things that go are going on. Uh, were there certain ways that you dealt with that? And can you talk a little bit about maybe a time where you went through some of that darkness? Sure. And like, I, people don't talk about this enough, but mm -hmm. I was truly suffering from anxiety. I think just trying to deal with the show emotionally and my life. And I thought I was never going to be a normal human being again, because I remember seeing a therapist and they prescribed me Xanax and I had never taken Xanax before. So I took Xanax one day. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. I felt great. I'm not anxious at all. And then the next day came and I was anxious again and I had to take another Xanax. And by the third day, third day, I'm only on day three. I had to wow. take two Xanaxes because wow. the first one during the day, and I realized that day that I was very quickly going to be addicted to something that was a crutch. It's not like it was solving my anxiety. It was mm -hmm. merely masking it. And on day three, I already needed more to mask wow. what I didn't need. And so I called my brother crying that day. He's a cardiologist. And I had never shared with him before what I had been going through for maybe about a month. And he told me, he said, your anxiety is not going to go away until you stop what is causing it. And you don't need medication. You need lifestyle changes. So he made me go outside every day for one hour and go for a walk in the sun. He made me start to exercise. I wasn't exercising, just that sweating and releasing yeah. endorphins. And the biggest thing he made me do was quit. He's like, if this is making you so anxious and ruining your life, don't do it. And, you know, before, like, quitting wasn't really an option for me. Like, 
I just, I signed up to do this. I, it was helping me and I was going to do it. And it wasn't until he said that, that I realized, wow, like this isn't as important as my mental health. And no matter what it's going to bring me, it's going to take me down in these other ways. So I quit that and I quit something else I was doing professionally at the time that was a huge stress on me and taking up a lot of my time um, so that I could just focus on myself, my mental health and, and my brand, which is what I really cared about the most. Thank you for being so detailed about some of that, because I think one of the issues is that a lot of people out there see the beautiful, amazing life that you built, but maybe don't see some of the things that they can relate to really. And, you know, talking to them about how even you went through that uh, could really help them at home kind of find their own salvation through that. Yeah. And it doesn't happen overnight. My anxiety didn't go away in like a week. It took probably a good three, four months of really healthy lifestyle changes and, and just like anything else, I I decided I was going to get better and I was going to do these things every single day to get better. And with time, Mm -hmm. just as, as it came, it it can go. I'm so glad you found a way to overcome it without the over-medicating that it seems the doctors were kind of causing. A lot of the times we see in America, especially, um, the wrong people are prescribing the wrong medicines and uh, it's not as effective. Did you find that for um, antidepressants at the same time that doctor gave me anti-anxiety they gave me antidepressants and I picked up the prescription I hadn't started it by the time I called my brother crying and he told me you're not depressed you are why are you going to take an antidepressant when you are not depressed you Mm -hmm. have anxiety and and it just goes to show you that like some doctors are just so quick to just write you whatever they think will mask what's going on. Yeah, for sure. Of course. And they're not, somehow they've got the ability to write those prescriptions without the expertise to really know how to write them or what to write about them. And we often don't look at our brain health before we go and do some of those things. There's another amazing, um, doctor on Instagram. Who's like a Instagram social media doctor named Dr. Amen, who, uh, you may know of, but he talks about how we need to heal our brains before we can kind of heal ourselves and start looking at those medications. Uh, and there's a lot of things that we can do, like you said, exercise, daylight, um, supplements, nutrition that can help yeah. before we get to that. Um, did you, did, did, was it hard for you to quit because you're afraid of this idea of failure that maybe you felt like it wasn't working or what was making it hard for you to quit things that were causing some of this? Well, it was definitely building my social which mm-hmm. I knew was important for the success of my brands. And so quitting, I would lose that. It was a source of income. You know, at that time, I wasn't wildly successful. And so this was a good stream of money coming in. Um, and third, it's so public. Yeah. You know, like if I quit, it's not like, oh, guys, like I'm not going to come anymore. Best of luck to you. <laughs> The whole world is going to know. And it's really messed up because shortly after I quit, a whole story was released on TMZ about how I was fired because I'm so boring. And (laughs) for someone, I was probably boring. I am boring, but I wasn't fired. I chose to leave the show. And, you know, I had all the proof for that, my emails to them, everything else, but you can't help what people are going to write and what millions of people are going to believe. And so 
you know, I kind of knew I would expect something and, and disappointment from my producers to my cast um, to just everyone involved, my makeup artist, my hairstylist, my style, everyone that's involved in, in being a part of that team. But, you know, my brother really put it in perspective. He's like, who gives a shit? Like, if you can't even function to, like, go outside without having a panic mm -hmm. attack, like, who cares? Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's what's most important is you. And then you'll see the rest of your success, I think, come much easier, which you you did see. You saw your right. businesses blow up the minute you let the anxiety get away from you. A good mom is a happy mom. I read that <laughs> somewhere, and it's so true. You cannot be a good wife. You can't be a good mom. You can't be a good anything unless you are, are truly happy. If you're suffering from anxiety, depression, and anything else, all mm -hmm. things do are going to suffer. So what's next for you? Where do you see your hair business going, your lash business going? Um, and where, what would be like the dream product for you to build next? Um, so next I would love, I always stay true to myself to focus on baby stuff. Um, you know, our products for pregnant women, I launched a stretch mark cream with my last pregnancy. It's called bump butter. The brand mm -hmm. is called Bumpology and Herdeman has me so busy right now, but when I get that to a place where it's sort of, you know, ready to go off to the next owner, I want to focus on that. And I want to focus on kids and, and stuff mm. with kids because that's, you know, beauty used to be the primary focus of my life, but it's not anymore. Now being a mom is, and I want to stay true to that and sort of pivot to that. I love that. How do you feel about this idea that you may, is it a lot of pressure that you may be this inspiration to a lot of young women out there that are trying to achieve greatness in their lives? Does that put pressure on you? Do you, does it drive you? Does it push you forward? And how does that make you feel? It doesn't put pressure on me. And it's so strange that it doesn't because I'm not trying to inspire people. And I think that's the reason it doesn't put pressure on me. If I were a motivational speaker, you know, and that was my business and my goal, maybe I would feel that pressure. But the fact that I inspire people just by trying to make myself successful <laughs> and running my own brands and my own life, that's so beautiful to me. Like I love when people write to me or come up to me and say, I inspired them to be a lawyer. I inspired them. That's beautiful because I'm not trying to inspire you. I'm just, you know, doing my thing. So I don't feel the pressure. Um, and, you know, I guess to some sense that isn't true because sometimes maybe I want to post something and as a mom now, I'm like, Ooh, that's kind of too provocative. Like you know, <laughs> something. And I feel like maybe it will send the wrong message that to other moms that they have to look like this or they have to, you know, so I guess in that sense, it, it censors me a little bit. Um, but mm -hmm. I definitely don't feel pressure. Well, whether you like it or not, you, Lily, are definitely an inspiration to a lot of young people out there who are trying to achieve greatness in their lives. So I really appreciate you talking to us a lot about, you know, your life, your career, what you're doing today, and all these life lessons on how people can overcome, you know, diversity and difficulties in their life to achieve their goals. You know, you've done it yourself and really appreciate you showing other young women and young men out there how they can also do it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It was the pleasure was truly all mine. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. Can't wait to have you on again.
Bye.